Hello and welcome to CBS Radio Mystery Theater from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. The CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... Marshall. How the poets like to talk about the disastrous intervention of the completely unexpected. A sudden gust of wind, a flash of light, the unforeseen, the accidental. We're playthings, puppets dancing in the wind. But although we pay the piper, do we really call the tune? You must pay those people, Paul. You must. Relax, baby. I have every intention of paying. Tomorrow. Do it tomorrow? Absolutely. I'm getting the money tonight. Come on, relax. It's only $9,000. No, it's ten. It was nine last week. Every week you delay costs you $1,000. Our mystery drama, Death is Blue, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Sam Dan and stars Francis Sternhagen. It is sponsored in part by Buick Motor Division and True Value Hardware Stores. I'll be back shortly with Act One. It is a magic moment. You are at your Buick dealers about to drive home in your brand new Buick LeSabre. It's lean and trim, classic line. It looks quite unlike any full-size Buick you can remember. You get in. A heady new car smell surrounds you. Your LeSabre feels the way it looks. You turn the wheel a little. No wasted motion in this car. Big brushed metallic gauges look back at you. That V6 engine is doing great. You rub your hand on the seat. Six people could be really comfortable in here. You swing into your driveway. Your wife, the kids, the dog, everyone but the parakeet descends on the car and gets in. Off you go to nowhere in particular. Life and your new saber are great. Maybe the dog shouldn't sit on the seats. Everything seems to go just perfectly, but it doesn't last long. Something, somewhere, somehow arises, and things go back to being normal again. Let us begin in the office of Julia Hoffman. Who is Julia Hoffman? Well, she's a private detective. Well, not a private eye like Dashiell Hammett's Sam Spade, or Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe, or even Earl Stanley Gardner's Perry Mason. But she has her points, Ms. Hoffman. Edward Everett Bascom III, and he looked it. He was between 35 and 40, tall, rather handsome, in a somewhat dissipated way. A splendid physique was beginning to show the ravages of good food, strong drink, and easy living. He was extremely nervous and very much ill at ease. But those are the kind of people we get. May I inquire your fee? Of course. $150 a day. 
A hundred and fifty dollars? Plus expenses. Well, isn't, uh, isn't that rather high? You would pay an automobile mechanic or a plumber between fifteen and twenty dollars an hour. Which is more important? Your kitchen sink, your car, or the problem you have brought into my office? I, um, I need your help. Exactly how may I help you, Mr. Bascom? It's a delicate matter. I, um, it involves my sister, Matilda. Matilda Bascom, uh, my, uh, my spinster sister. Yes. She's about to make an awful mistake. Yes? A tragic mistake. By doing what, Mr. Bascom? By getting married. I take it you don't want her to get married. Not to Paul Darrow. Uh, you spell that... Uh, D-A-R-R-I-E-U-X. And what's wrong with Mr. Darrow? He's a liar, a thief, a scoundrel. You have proof? Miss Hoffman, he has to be. Why? Well, this, this is the delicate part. I have here a photograph of my sister. An eight by ten portrait so that you may see her clearly. Yes. It's in color, you notice. So? Speaking forthrightly, could she appeal to a man? Obviously she has. Miss Hoffman is after my sister's money. Why do you insist? Isn't it obvious? Oh, don't get me wrong, Miss Hoffman. She's my older sister. I adore her, but I face reality. And what is reality? Reality is that she is not an attractive girl. I mean, woman. She's almost 40. And she's very plain. The, uh, the, the birthmark, that... Oh, that hideous birthmark. Hideous? Well, I'm, I'm trying to speak frankly. I hope you never said that word to your sister. I would die first. I'm being, as I said, frank. You may be overdoing it. You can see that blue birthmark. It covers her entire forehead and practically half her right cheek. And it offends you. It doesn't offend me. I, I'm just stating a fact. Well, obviously it does offend you. Well, I cannot pretend it doesn't exist. Uh, what is it that you require of me? I want you to prove that Paul Darrow is after her money. That Paul Darrow is either a criminal or possesses a criminal record. I want you to prove that to her. Mr. Bascom, how much money does she have? Each of us inherited half a million from our father. I see. Do you still have your half million? Is this question germane to our discussion? Do you? Well, no. I've had some reverses of a temporary nature. But she still has all of hers. Yes. Now, Miss Hoffman, I assure you, I'm not thinking about the money. You're not. I love my sister. I want more than anything in this world to see her happily married, fulfilling her destiny as a woman. But I'm realistic. Therefore, I want you to get printed proof of the fact that Paul Darrow is or was a criminal. Do you have a picture of Mr. Darrow? Yes, he's given several to Matilda. I assume your sister lives with you. She does. And does Mr. Darrow ever visit your home? Much too often. Good. Then you may even be able to secure a fingerprint. Now then, why spend money to hire me when you can quite easily handle the entire affair yourself? Myself? Gather as much information as you can about Mr. Darrow. Go to the district attorney... 
Tell him you have reason to believe that your sister is about to be victimized by a suspected confidence operator. But I... I His I, office will do all the work. I don't know the district attorney. I couldn't ask for a favor. Your taxes pay his salary. You're entitled to it. That's exactly how I'd go about it. Mr. Bascom, I'm trying to tell you that the district attorney and every other officer of the government is your paid servant. You need not hire intermediaries. It's more to... than that. It's, it's, it's... Well, it's a matter of presenting the facts to Matilda. Presenting them? Why should that be a problem? Well, I, I, I thought a professional detective who is also a woman would have the proper tactful approach. In other words, since you are unable to behave like a brother, you want to hire me to act like a sister. Could you start immediately? She's so infatuated, she may decide to run away with him at any time. Every now and then, one just drops into your lap. This makes up for the ones that fall on your head. But it was so easy, so unbelievably simple. Let's see, Mr. Bascom came into my office with his problem at 9.30 in the morning. At 10.15, I was in the office of an assistant district attorney. At 10.16, he said to me... Uh, Julia, that's pretty Paul DeRoe. What's he up to this time? He wants to get married. I bet she's rich. Rich enough. And ugly. No woman is really ugly, Tom. Just unfulfilled. <laughs> you know, he's a specialist. In what? Separating women from their money. Is there a sheet on him? Oh, as long as your slender, lovely arm. At 11.15, I phoned Mr. Edward Everett Bascom. Yes, Miss Hoffman? I have the information you asked for. Proof? Proof of that man's criminal record? Yes, Mr. Bascom. Proof. So soon? When can you bring it to me? Anytime you say. Now. At 11.45, I was in the Bascom living room. I showed Mr. Bascom the dossier on Paul Darrow. He was overjoyed. He didn't even grimace when he wrote out my check. And then the door opened. She came into the room. She was tall like he was, well-built like he was. She resembled him so closely, it was obvious they were brother and sister. She had the kind of face which makes a man handsome and a woman plain. And, of course, the birthmark. It covered her forehead and most of her right cheek. It was a violent, angry, livid blue. You wanted to see me, Ed? Uh, yes, Matilda. May I present Miss Julia Hoffman? How do you do? How do you do? Uh, Miss Hoffman is a detective. Oh, I do hope there's nothing wrong. A private detective. Oh, I see. Am I to assume that you hired her in my best interests? Well, yes, Matilda. Then would you excuse yourself and leave me alone with Miss Hoffman? Well, I... I'm sure you already know what she's come to tell me. Yes, but I... I would like to speak with Miss Hoffman privately. All right. Of course. In that envelope, Miss Hoffman, I'm sure you have proof that my fiancé has a criminal record. Then you know about it. <laughs> of course. He's been in jail once. Ten years ago. Sold a widow stock in a non-existent corporation. 
He's been connected with several confidence schemes since. I'm aware of all of them. He claims to be a salesman, but in fact, he has no visible means of support. That's not true. His support is quite visible. It's me. Miss Bascom, I was hired to present you with certain facts. I have done so. I will leave these papers here. Thank you. But I intend to marry Paul Darrow in any event. Would you like to know why? Obviously, you're in love with him. Exactly. Now, you understand that. Why can't my brother? All your brother can see is a man who's out to steal your money. Oh, but that's true enough. Well, I don't object to it. Why not? Because he's going to give me my money's worth. Do you understand? Yes. <laughs> I believe you really and truly do. I like you, Miss Hoffman. You're kind sensitive woman. I watched you as I walked into the room. I watched the expression on your face. I'm an expert at watching people's first reaction to me. Your face was frank, open, friendly, as if there were nothing at all wrong with me. But there isn't. Oh, there is. I have this absolutely hideous birthmark, this dreadful blue... Miss Bascom, if it's so traumatic, you could have it removed. Mm Mm-hmm. This is an age of medical miracles, but not for everyone. Not for me. Now, I've learned to live with it. Mm, Not live, exist. I became reconciled to doing without companionship. Love, the things that make life worthwhile. You understand? Yes. And then, Paul Darrow happened along. And a whole new world opened up for me. He wants to marry me. Now, you may ask, would he wish to marry me? Would he even look at me if I were poor? And I answer, certainly not. A marriage without love. Oh, that's a platitude. That's a slogan. You can sympathize with my condition. But you cannot know how it feels to live inside my skin. I'm repulsive, Miss Hoffman, but I'm a woman and I want love. Even if you have to buy it. On any terms, Miss Hoffman. But love, love... For you, Miss Hoffman, is the love of the poets and the philosophers and the dreamers. Love can come to you at any time, in any place, in any chance encounter. Love, for me, is whatever I can get, whenever and wherever I can get it. And and besides... Besides? I have so much love to give. I've been hemmed in, shut off repressed for so long that that I will love him with all of my being the way no one has ever loved him and he may even fall in love with me I wish you the very best Miss Bascom well no I, I mean I don't think that will happen what will happen he'll squander my money and when it's gone he'll leave me and you still feel it's worth it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, may I ask you a favor? Of course. I have very few friends. I, well, actually, none at all. And I was wondering, may I ask you to be the maid of honor at my wedding? Well, oh, I pay you for your time. Oh, now, please, Miss Bascom, please don't spoil it. You're all invited to the wedding. 
Who knows what kind of wedding this could turn out to be? Certainly, you must admit, it differs from most weddings. Since both parties are entering upon this matrimonial venture with their eyes wide open, all we know about the bridegroom so far is that he specializes in separating women from their money. One way or another, this may turn out to be a very short marriage. I shall return in a few moments with Act Two. many pains, but celibacy has few pleasures, so said Samuel Johnson. The reason we quote Mr. Johnson here is because he was married to a grotesquely homely woman, and yet he truly adored her. We're about to meet a gentleman, Mr. Paul Darrow, on his wedding day. He too is about to marry a woman who may be considered unattractive, and it will be interesting to see how he will cope, if that's the word. The story is being told by a private detective named Julia Hoffman. And so they were married. It was a small affair held in the bride's home where she was reluctantly given away by her brother. I thought she looked positively radiant. The groom, Paul Darrow, was a slender, handsome man. To me, he looked like a confidence operator. But then again, I'm a detective, and we do tend to take a dim view of things and people. It's an occupational hazard. We're not always right. Miss uh, Hoffman? Congratulations, Mr. Darrow. You disapprove of me, don't you? And you know why. Yes. You're a detective, and you checked me out. You're a hunter of women, Mr. Darrow. And what chance did vulnerable, defenseless Matilda have against you? Not at all. Then we understand each other. No, not completely. If all I wanted was Matilda's money, I could do better elsewhere. Really? Oh, she's comfortably well off, but she's not fabulously wealthy. Do you understand? No. At first, it, uh, it was all a play for her money. But then... But then, let me finish. You gazed into her eyes. An emotion you never knew before took possession of your heart, your mind, your soul. For the first time in your life, in your wasted, misspent life, you fell in love. Yes, that says it. I'm disappointed. I would imagine you'd have a better line than that. The truth of the matter is, I don't. What you just said, the old tired, for the first time, my darling, I know love, true love, that old chestnut. That's the way it is. What are you trying to tell me, Mr. Darrow? That I'm in love with her. Oh, yes, it defies logic and all understanding. But I am in love with her. Are you telling me, Mr. Darrow, that the leopard has changed his spots? I have been redeemed. By Matilda Bascom. Is that a fact? Oh, you're a most charming and attractive woman, Miss Hoffman, but you're a cop. And you have the mentality of a cop. The cynical, suspicious, skeptical attitude of a cop. Once a thief, always a thief. That is your motto, isn't it? Well, it may sound hard and even unfair, but unfortunately it's supported by the record. Oh, there you are. Oh, I hope you two get to know each other. 
like each other. Julia, isn't he wonderful? Well, he certainly fills me with wonder. A detective, by the very nature of the job, sees people at their worst. And after a while, begins to suspect the worst in everybody. Why? Why couldn't I give Paul Darrow the benefit of the doubt? At least I should be grateful to him. Right or wrong, I was becoming cynical, suspicious, skeptical. It certainly was doing nothing to improve me as a human being. Paul and Matilda Darrow went off to live in a house at North Beach. Matilda kept inviting me out there. But one thing and another kept coming up. Almost a year had gone by when... Guess who walked into my office about guess what? He's about to drain her of every last cent she has in the world. You know this for a fact. Miss Hoffman, I wouldn't come here to buy your valuable time if I didn't know it for a fact. And what is the fact? I received a call from her broker, Emil Morgan. Emil's upset, as he should be, as I am. She told him to cash in $100,000 worth of municipal bonds. Mm-hmm, he yes. asked her why. She said she wanted the money. He asked her why she wanted so much cash. She wouldn't tell him. So, I asked her. She said Paul had an excellent business opportunity. She used the word excellent, not me. Well? Well, what do you mean, well? Isn't it obvious? He's simply going to steal that money from her. Probably. Well, how can you sit there and say probably? What else is there to say about it? Well, she should be... She should be what? Well, told about it. She knows about it. She's even more aware of this man's basic character than you are. How do you know? She told me. She told me, too. Then let's face reality, Mr. Bascom. She has taken a flyer in romance. She knows she's buying worthless stock. She knows she's buying the glitter and not the gold. But she's getting a terrific dividend of happiness while it lasts. Oh, that's nonsense. I can see her point. Well, not necessarily agree with it, but see it and understand well, it. Well, just because you're a woman, Miss Hoffman, don't think you have a monopoly when it comes to understanding a woman's emotions. Mr. Bascom, why is this a matter for a private detective? What can I tell Matilda about her husband that she doesn't already know? You can tell her that he's got another woman. Does he? He must. Can you state that as a fact? Absolutely. Well, who is she? I don't know who she is. I only know she exists. How do you know? She has to. He, he has to have another woman. But you have no evidence. Evidence. All right. That's why I've come to you. Why are you so sure? Because I know the Paul Darrows of this world. I know them very well. It's quite possible that Paul Darrow was truly in love with my sister. You admit it. That was a year ago, but by now he is tired of her. It has nothing to do with her, her disfigurement, that awful blue birthmark. Even if she were Miss America, she'd begin to bore him. So find out who the other woman is. Get me the evidence. You'd be amazed, or would you, how much of this work is cut and dried. Get me the evidence. How? As they say in the movies, put a tail on Paul Darrow. In the beginning of my career, I myself would be the tail. But now, however, I hire people. Yes? It's Jerry here. I got your boy, Julia. Where? 
little joint on West Side. Alone? With a babe. What kind? I don't know, but this dame is stacked. Do they know each other well? Julia, they can't seem to keep their hands off each other. Know what I mean? Mm. It's disgusting. Can't they do all that in private? The joint on West Third was a quiet, dimly lit place where people went in order to be alone together. There was a piano bar, and the man played pretty, dreamy music. Most couples sat around in booths and concentrated their conversations on each other. Paul Darrow and his attractive female companion were too taken up with themselves to notice me. I slipped into an empty booth directly behind them. Oh, baby. There's nothing to worry about. I know, sugar. It's just I don't see you enough. I know. But I have to go home. Home? And it won't be for too much longer. Oh, that's what you said last month. You can't leave the goose while she still lays golden eggs. Oh, you were supposed to have your hands on that money last week. Well, baby, it has to be done with finesse. Why? Why not just grab the money and walk out? Well, you have to get that money. You have to. I'm aware of it. I don't think so, honey. You already owe some of that dough. Why, oh, no. It's only $9,000. That was last week. This week it's ten. I told you, those guys have a wild way of figuring interest. Bonds are due to be delivered tomorrow. Grab them and run. And here's a photograph of the two of them. There can be no doubt about their relationship. How did you get this picture? That's not important. Oh, but it is. It shows her darling husband practically making love to this woman in public. True. Now, do you know what I suggest you do? You don't have to. I know exactly what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to drive out to North Beach first thing in the morning. Take my advice. Burn the picture. Burn it? Forget it. Are you insane? I intend to expose this man for what he is. He'll do that himself when he runs away with her money. What do you mean, when he runs away with her money? Paul Darrow is a desperate man. He's in the hands of the loan shark. That's his problem. If he doesn't pay off, they'll kill him. I'll shed no tears. But Matilda will. I know my sister now. She'll take anything from him except another woman. She'll throw him out. And she'll hate you for the rest of her life. This is a lesson she has to learn for herself. The only lessons of lasting value are the ones we pay for. A hundred thousand dollars is a good price. I can't believe you're serious. You know I'm right. Are you saying that we should permit this man to steal a hundred thousand dollars? He worked for his money. I can't believe we're having this kind of a conversation. I will not let that man take a hundred thousand dollars from my sister. You haven't been listening. I told you Paul Darrow is a desperate man. His life is on the line here. If she refuses him... He's capable of turning on her. He could kill her for that money. What are you saying? Believe me, Mr. Bascom. I know your every instinct rebels against it, but don't interfere. Don't risk her life. Pay the price, and you're both out of it. Pay the price. Suddenly, we're able to place a figure on the value of a human life. And the advice is practical. But can Edward Everett Bascom take it? It certainly goes against the grain to permit a swindle. Can he be depended on to swallow his pride, choke down his anger, and eat his words? 
I don't know. I shall return shortly with Act Three. advice is seldom welcome, and those who need it most appreciate it least. Private Detective Julia Hoffman is in the business of giving advice. She has just delivered some very hard-to-take counsel to a gentleman who has been resisting her every step of the way. You know I'm right. Her safety should be the first consideration. And we're just going to let this fellow walk out with a hundred thousand? Yes, and he's gone forever. And so what's going to happen? From what I understand, her broker can't stall her off any longer. He'll have to deliver the cash for the bonds tomorrow or the next day. And then? You know, and then. She'll give him the money, presumably to invest in his new business. And he'll walk out the door with it, never to be seen again. That's correct. Well, that goes against the grain, but... All right, all right. You're correct. I won't say a word to her. Let's be rid of him. One way or another, let's be rid of him. That was on a Tuesday afternoon. On Tuesday evening, I spoke to Matilda on the telephone. Julia, what a pleasant surprise. How are things, Matilda? Oh, wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. I'm happy, Julia, really, really and truly happy. Then that's all that counts. How is Paul? Oh, he's marvelous. Good. He's all excited and optimistic. Really? Yes, he got a chance to buy into a fabulous business. And you're going to give him the money for it. Ah, what else is my money for? What else, indeed? Now, Julia, I know you're skeptical about Paul. Well... But he's changed. Maybe marriage has changed, and maybe I changed him. But he's a new Paul, a different Paul. Oh, Julia, how is it possible to be so happy? I never spoke to her again. Five days later, I was called in to see the district attorney. You knew Matilda DeRoe, didn't you? Knew Matilda? She's dead. Murdered. No. Yeah, her brother's been trying to reach her all week. Couldn't get her on the phone, so this morning he drove out to her place in North Beach. She's gone. Gone? Gone? But that doesn't mean she's dead. There was a struggle. He found bloodstains. you you're sure? Gone also, uh, an envelope with bearer bonds worth $100,000. Gone also, friend, husband. In the Frascati sports car, she'd bought him for his birthday. How was she killed? Oh, that we don't know. We don't have the body. A neighbor, Mrs. Manson, said that uh, at twilight yesterday, she saw Mr. Durow carrying a huge sack down to the dock. A huge sack? And she wasn't suspicious? Of what? They have a cabin cruiser. At that time, she thought Darrow could have been taking supplies down to the boat. And that's all you've got? Well, this uh, Mrs. Matson heard the boat go out. About an hour later, she heard it come back. She saw Darrow hurrying toward the house. She called out a greeting, but uh, he just disregarded her. He seemed very nervous. He didn't have the sack. No, what we can assume is he weighted it down, took it out of ways, and dropped it overboard. Where it can never be found. It sounds right. Of course. That's what we have to assume. If we can find Mr. Paul Darrow and he tells us a more convincing story, well, uh... Yeah, that's what happened. What did you know about Paul Darrow, Julia? 
He's into the loan shark. Ah, then he had to have the money. Yes, but why did he have to kill her? She was willing to give it to him. Un- unless... Unless what? I have to see somebody. I didn't tell her. Then why did she refuse to give him the money? I don't know. The only thing that could make her angry enough would be if she found him unfaithful. But I didn't tell her. How do I know? Because we agreed, you and I. I don't trust you. You saw that hundred thousand flying out the window and it was too much for you. I swear to you that I... You didn't tell her, I didn't tell her, then how did she find out? I don't know, but I do know this. I want that animal found and brought to justice. I inherit what's left of her estate. It's quite a bit. I'll spend every penny hunting that murderer down. Mr. Bascom, let's back off and look at this thing from another perspective. How do we know you didn't kill her? Me? I spoke with her broker, Mr. Morgan. Unlike yours, which has been senselessly squandered, her estate has been carefully tended. It's grown to almost a million dollars. You are the sole heir. Uh, this, this, this is an entirely reasonable conjecture. You could have killed her. If I killed her, why did her husband disappear? Well, what do you want him to do? Who believed him with his record? He's running for his life. Are you saying that I murdered my own sister? I'm saying there are a number of possibilities. But, but do you believe it? At this point, I don't know what to believe. Tell me, Mrs. Matson, what's it feel like to be a, a woman detective? Uh, when was the last time you saw Matilda Darrow alive? Oh, that's what I always wanted to be. But in my day, we didn't have this here, women's lib. Mrs. I seen her alive the last... Oh, must have been five days ago. Five days ago. You get to use a gun. Or are you one of them brainy ones? Oh, you see, their house is separated from ours by them hedges. But when I'm sitting upstairs in my sewing room, I can see over to their property... They like to walk down across the lawn a lot to their dock, especially her. But you say you haven't seen her in five days. When was the last time you saw him? <clears throat> right up to the other morning. The morning her brother come on out and called the police. She was last seen on Friday night. Had Mr. Darrow been here all week? Oh, yeah. yeah. He'd been keeping more or less himself. He'd come out every afternoon, take a quick walk down to the dock. It's been raining all week, hasn't it? A little rain wouldn't stop him. Thank you, Mrs. Matson. Have you uh, uncovered something? Not yet. Yes? Miss Doralee Spurich? The same. May I come in? Why? Would you like to win a million dollars? What do I have to buy? Nothing. Who do I have to kill? No one. Come in. Let's hear your line, anyhow. So, how do I win a million? First, tell me, what's a million worth? No, you have to do the talking. Is it worth your life? Oh, sure. Then I offer you the equivalent of a million. What's this? Where's Paul Darrow? Who? No, we can't waste time. No, you look here. You look here. Who? I don't know what you're talking about. All these things waste time. Look at this picture. At every detail from every angle, Mr. Paul Darrow is wanted for the murder of his wife. 
If you conceal or withhold any information concerning Mr. Darrow, you become an accessory, and it can mean life imprisonment. But Austin... I haven't finished. On the other hand, since I have my own way of knowing that you really didn't assist Mr. Darrow in the actual murder, why do you even have to be brought into it? Who has to know that you and Mr. Darrow have been intimate? That's a lie. Is it? Really? And recently. Now, where is he? I don't know. And that's the truth. Now, tell me more about the truth. Okay. He was set to take his wife for a hundred thousand. The sharks were swimming around him, so he was going to pick it up last week. And then he and I, we would take off. Where? Europe. The works. England, Paris, Rome. We'd have enough to live it up for a while. Well, he was supposed to pick up the dough Friday night and meet me here Saturday morning. He never showed. Maybe he ran out on you. I don't think so. You mean your pride won't let you think so? I think they killed him. Who? The sharks. Why? He only owed them 10000 How do you know it was 10000 I know things. Why kill him? He had the money to pay off. Maybe he had too much money. Maybe they saw the size of that roll and they figured... Why not grab it all? So, he's under cement, under a garbage dump. Oh, he was a great guy when he had it. Tom? Yeah, Julia? Anything new in the DA's office on the Darrow case? No, we haven't been able to take a single step forward. Except for your angle on the loan sharks. We've run that down. It's true, he could be gone that way. So he killed her for the money. And the sharks killed him for the money. Is that the way it could wind up? Well, all the pieces would fit together neatly. Don't you buy it? Could I have your permission to search the house at North Beach? Oh, what do you expect to find? Mm, you never know until you look. Hello there, Miss Hoffman. Oh, it's you, Mrs. Matson. I noticed you poking around out here in the garbage. Well, I'm wondering why there's so much of it. These two, three cans full? You should come over and see mine. This is nothing. Well, don't they collect garbage around here? They do when they ain't on strike. Oh. Well, how long have they been out? Oh, three weeks. Three weeks? I I noticed you took them two things out of the garbage can. Are they clues? That handkerchief and that, that thing that looks like a little round plastic disc. Are they... Are they clues? Miss Hartman. May I come in? Yes, of course. Is there anything new? Yes. What? Tell me. Suppose you tell me. Well, what can I tell you? To begin with, where is your sister? My, my sister? What are, you, what are you talking... You want to listen to my theory. It goes as follows. She discovered that Paul was cheating. She confronted him. What I don't know is, did she become so enraged at his infidelity that she killed him? Or did he become so enraged at the thought that she wasn't going to give him the money that he attacked her and she killed him in self-defense? Which was it? Miss Hoffman, I won't hear any more of this. Well, you might as well hear it all. I would prefer to think she was the one who got angry first. Anyhow, it was a struggle to the death. She 
killed him. This is the most monstrous accusation. It was a fit. It was frenzy. I don't even say she's not entitled to it. When it was over, she became panicky. She called you. Are you saying that I... Oh, come on, don't be ashamed of it. You worked out this plan. You have no proof that she knew about his infidelity? His handkerchief. This lipstick smudge. It wasn't hers. She doesn't wear any. You made sure to throw it in the garden. No, 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 just a minute. For five days, after I could no longer reach my sister, he was seen walking about the grounds. By Mrs. Matson, the neighbor, she saw him. From a distance. She saw your sister, Matilda, wearing Paul's clothes. She saw Paul carrying that sack down to the dock. Again, from a distance. In the rain. But... But that birthmark... That livid blue birthmark, it's visible, noticeable from any distance. The birthmark was hidden. How could you hide that birthmark? You see? I found a few of these in the garbage, too. What are those? These little discs. You know what they are. You brought them to her. To help her. This is a little container of that hypoallergenic theatrical makeup. Light flesh color. That's how she covered the birthmark. Mrs. Matson, seeing what she thought was the figure of a man, naturally assumed what you wanted her to assume, that it was Paul Darrow. That Paul Darrow was the one who was alive. You can't prove any of this. What are you going to do with that, that handkerchief, that, that little disc? I thought about that. It was thrown in the garbage. Ordinarily, it should never have been found. But there was a strike. Now, if I get rid of it, could I be accused of destroying evidence? What evidence? The police were all through the garbage. If it was considered evidence, they would have picked it up, wouldn't they? Well, it's your sister's garbage, still one of her possessions. Since you inherit her estate, I leave it with you. Maybe what I've just said has absolutely no basis in fact. I do know that the police are content with matters as they stand. If my theory is correct, you will have to spend the rest of your life caring for, protecting your sister. Assuming she's alive. At any rate, I have no official standing... I see no purpose in pursuing the matter further. Miss Hoffman, I want to say that... No, 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 Mr. Bascom. Neither you nor I must ever say another word. And they didn't. And so, we don't know. We really don't know who killed whom. That is, we don't know officially. This story took place some years ago, and neither Matilda nor Paul were ever seen again. The official version is that Paul killed her, and the mob killed Paul. The mob. It really does come in handy sometimes, doesn't it? I'll be back in just a few minutes.
people set such store by beauty, and yet some of the greatest women in history were either homely or possessed a very special kind of beauty. Joan of Arc was a scrawny, half-starved peasant. Even her flattering portraits show Queen Elizabeth I of England as pinch-faced and half-bald. Helen of Troy, by today's standards, she'd be rather fat. So it goes. Our cast included Francis Sternhagen, Marion Seldes, Bryna Rayburn, Ralph Bell, and Ian Martin. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by True Value Hardware Stores and Buick Motor Division. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.